0: Hello and welcome back to the Men You're Not Alone podcast. Uh, this is the second interview in a series of what What do men think? And because the sound guy sucks—that's me—we just did a fantastic interview, and I had the wrong microphone teed up, so we are doing this from scratch again. And uh, the gentleman who's who's here today—he's going to use the name Dash Riprock. Again, if you're new to this, I'm keeping everybody anonymous for a while, and then we'll get to it. And that is to prevent you, the listener, from listening through a lens based on a man's station, or whatever, what, what other whatever other things might influence uh, your ability to hear what a man has to say. So, with that said, um, dash. Just in general, what is your age range?
1: I just turned fifty.
0: Just turned fifty. Are you
1: married, divorced? I'm married. Children? Uh, we have one. You have one? We have one. Uh, I'm not the biological father. Okay. Uh, uh, we started, uh, my wife and I started dating when our daughter was five, and uh, we've never considered her anything but our daughter. So, um, so yeah, uh, married one time. I got married at 40.
0: Okay. And what's a general summary of your line of work?
1: Uh, we own a small service repair business on a medium-sized town, and uh, we just do localized business in, in our community that we live in.
0: Okay. And um, is there any community involvement that you are involved with? There doesn't have to be, but...
1: Uh, no, not especially, other than, you know, church outreaches. Uh, we're, we're, you know, we're involved in the church, um, but, but realistically... Nothing that, that it would be considered a, a huge outreach that we do on a regular basis.
0: Okay. that That's fine. There doesn't have to be. It just get, helps give somebody a screenshot of sort of what uh, what's going on in a man's life. All right. So if you were to grab a handful of the issues faced by men in our culture today, issues that stand out a bit from others, which ones would they be? And why do these issues stand out to you?
1: Uh, I think men particularly are being battled uh, in a spiritual warfare. Okay. Uh, I think that they're systematically, uh, just being, uh, uh, sniped at, if you will, uh, for their responsibility in society, for, for their importance in society, for, um, uh, their, uh, their strength in society is being usurped. It's, uh, its society is telling them that the things that were most noble, and that in a lot of cases um, were were feats of astounding measure, even you know from the Greeks where we get the Olympics that uh, feed men's strengths and abilities and and intelligence and put it on display is a great thing. Now in today's society, it's it's almost deemed. Uh, unfashionable or even um, uh, even toxic masculinity today is in a lot of ways. And I can see how masculinity can get out of control and you get big meatheads that, that shout louder than everybody else. That's, that's one type of masculinity. Um, but, but the genuineness, the, the, the strength, the, um, As I was told from a pastor that men and women have uh, equal importance, but different responsibilities. And I believe that men's responsibilities that are important for societal increase are being just drowned out. One of the biggest ways is through divorce. We're seeing men just being ravaged through divorce. We're seeing, we're seeing uh, children, uh, collateral damage because they're being shuffled uh, Monday through Wednesday to mom's and Thursday through Saturday to dad's. And meanwhile, dad's got a girlfriend and mom's got a boyfriend and nobody knows what roles anybody is. And so why not just destroy the society below you by hating the person that you're married to? It just, it's just so sad. And uh, you know, there, but for the grace of God go I, you know, I mean, realistically, uh, if I hadn't had the love of other men to shadow me and culture me, uh, and, and bring me up and give me a trade, even I would, I don't know where I would be. And I am so blessed by that. And that is a huge thing that is almost dead in our society is men encouraging and sheltering and growing other men. It's it's astounding the the lack of education out there for men to uh, to be amongst other men. I mean, you could. You know, there's not. You, I guess you could join the the Moose Lodge. You could join the Rotarians, or you know, whatever. But even the churches have failed. <clears throat> they don't know how to deal with it, and so they, 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 in most cases, they just toss it off as a secondary mission.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, my gosh. If you're going to have a strong church, don't you think that the men of the church should be the strongest spiritually for that church? And, and when you, when you require somebody to be strong, that means that you have accountability involved. It means that you have relationship involved. It means you have community involved. But over and over, we see men just pulling away, pulling out of society, pulling out of their marriages. I know that in my marriage, when things got difficult, I had a tendency to pull away and to isolate myself. And I had a tendency not to fight for things that I knew to be right, but rather than have a conflict, I would shrink away. Mm-hmm. But I would only do that for such a period of time until it invariably exploded. And then I would blow off and say the wrong thing at my wife. And, Big dump truck. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And so I just had to start learning that um, societally, uh, I can't make a difference in society, but I can make a difference in one man's life at a time. And so realizing that uh, if it's that extra five minutes to talk to a guy that's struggling, or if it's that extra 10 minutes to, to help a dude that's got a broke down tire, that's that, that right there is what makes the difference. And men are not doing that anymore. They're just isolating themselves. I guess I see that's that's what I see a lot of, and I see I see society saying that men's roles are not important. I just I see that society is saying a man's role is so not important that a woman could do it, mm-hmm. and I, that's not a slight, but it is a reversal of roles that was never meant naturally to occur. Yeah. You can't tell me that a fireman that is a man and a fireman that is a woman that has to carry out a 250 pound person out of a burning building, mm-hmm. that the woman is, is as equally strength to do what that man can do. Now, that's just on a physical level. And, and I, I don't want any haters for you or any of that. But that is a legitimate difference. Uh If my life was dependent upon which fireman was going to come into the building and I had a choice, Uh I'm going to choose the big burly dude. Yeah. There's just some things are meant in the way of nature to be that way. And what we have in this spiritual warfare is the natural way of things being attacked. Uh And that's what I feel is really going on. I feel like if you can eliminate the family standard, the family strength, if you can eliminate a safe place, a safe haven, then you're free. You're a free for all for what the world offers.
0: And we're bearing that fruit now. Very much so. All right. So then looking back over the past couple of years um, in the U.S., um, have you seen any shifts or changes in our culture? And if you have, what are they?
1: Uh, COVID. COVID has been a, a, just a game changer as far as everybody's concerned and put aside your degrees of variance of what you believe and don't believe and whatnot. The reality is, is that it has completely affected our society. There are some people that are, are very, very one way. And some people that are very, very the other way. And in my opinion, all of this has happened to cause cognitive discord, to make people either so angry with their opposite or to just check out of society completely. So as to uh, whatever the powers that be's agenda is, is that much easier. I, I, Conspiracy wise, you can say there's all kinds of things. I think for me, just to boil it down, it's just the difference between good and evil. It's the advancement of is Satan's kingdom growing on this earth or is God's kingdom growing on this earth? And for for us, we're implored in the Lord's prayer that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that that's the goal of of every Christian man is is that we have to see where we're standing as the garden that God's planted us in. Mm -hmm. And we have to work the ground. And we have to work through the thorns and through the brush and by the sweat of our brow. And that's what we were called to do because we're in a fallen world. But the unique thing is, is it's such an important role that you're the leader, that you're uh, the authority of the family. Because when it's done well, you get to see great things and and not just for your family, it's for the family of God. If you raise your child well and right, as Proverbs says, raise a child in the way that they should go and they won't depart from it when they grow old. If you can do that with your child, it's a blessing when they're an adult and they're doing the right and good things for society. It's 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 heartwarming. How much more so if you have a kid and that kid's been convicted of triple homicide. You see what I mean? It's, it's ultimately, what do you want? Yeah. Do you want to serve you know, evil or do you want to serve good? There's a, there's a time coming in our society. I think it's drawing up more and more prevalent, to, even as of today, where so many people have been walking the fence uh-huh. and you can only walk the fence for so long before you slip and rack yourself. And so I believe that in today's society, we are having to become aware of our of our sure-footedness of are we going to walk the fence or are we going to choose a side? And I think that if we're going to choose a side, choosing a side requires commitment, it requires sacrifice, it requires uh, diligence, uh, education. And these are all things that are come difficult to a man. A man just wants to have it all under wraps. He wants to know how to do everything and says that he knows how to do everything. and Nobody questioned that. But the reality is, is that if a man's truly going to take that journey, he's got to be transparent. He's got to be able to admit that he goofed off or he screwed up or that he doesn't have the answers. You know? One of the best sales guys that I think most of us ever come into contact with is the sales guy. When you ask them a question and they don't know, they say, you know what? I don't know what the answer to that is, but I'm going to go find out. And then they go find out that answer for you and they come back and then they tell you that is a lot better than a commission grubbing sales guy. That's going to lie to you about your answer, but because it sounds plausible, hey, that's fine. Yeah. And so... I've found that the reality is, is in, in our society, with this age of disinformation, where everything that comes, you can't get a straight story from one newsfeed. You have to compel, cobble six different lines from four different news sources into one fragmented thought process that makes sense, and then, and only then, is it plausible. We, we just don't know what the truth is these days. And, you know, I would say that the churches, in my opinion, have let me down tremendously as far as their reaction to how the COVID scenario was, their reaction to shutting the churches down, their reaction to cowtailing, to what the politicos of the today's environment. In every other time, whenever there's been a major issue, the church should always be in the forefront. They should always be the ones that are there to help whether they're actually doing the right thing or not i guess that's the problem isn't it is is that you know there don't just don't seem to be answers in today's society and and god seems to be outdated to a lot of a lot of men and um well and you know a lot of what i see too and i've seen
0: it a lot you drifted through the men's group just briefly mm-hmm. um and i it, if, like today's motto in in men, because I happen to have hundreds of them drifting through my job sites, is someone else will get it, you know. And that seems to be, and it does, and I think that is culture wide, and it it manifests in the churches, it manifests in businesses, it manifests in uh, community relationship building. Somebody else will get that, right. you know. Congress will get that. Uh, we're waiting around for these straw men, as if you know, like, where's the courage, like, get up, you know, if I had a buck for every time somebody comes to me and tries to hand me a baton that, you know, you'll get this. No, I'm not going to get this. You're going to do this, whether it's putting a roof on a house, or this guy that's fallen through the cracks, that's, uh, his life is a train wreck right now. And I don't know in 30 minutes, is he going to put a bullet through his temple? No, I don't have, I can't go do that. So the reason I'm telling you about it is not because I got nothing else to do. It's because now it's time for you to step up, have some courage. It's not somebody else, it's you. And then when you reach out to that man, that man's now equipped to reach out to another man. But I do see this cyclical not cyclical. It's uh that's a pandemic to me among men is somebody else will do this. And so we've deferred a whole lot of stuff in our churches to oh the pastor will get that. The the worship minister will get that. The youth director—I I don't want to raise my kids. The youth director at the church will raise my kids. The school teachers will raise my kids. Somebody else will get that, and it's like this ethereal absent-mindedness. Like, do like, do we not think it out? You know, where does it go? The same thing you ask: Who do you want to serve? You just surrender your children. You just surrender your life. You surrender everything that you have to somebody else. And that's what it seems like we're sitting in right now. Is this is what you get when you defer some your, your life to somebody else? That's
1: correct. You know, there's there's so many four hundred pound people sitting in recliners right now uh-huh. that that have brand new sneakers and workout attire and all of the the, the best cardio readers and all of that. And they have all of the equipment, but they're four hundred pounds. Yeah. they haven't done a thing to get out of the chair and I think that that's kind of where where we're at uh, we we have been bounced around and criticized and um, you know collaborated into these small individual groups that there's there's no longer uh, uh, a a help there's not a, a place to go and say i'm struggling there's you know as a husband you know back in the day on the tv shows the dad father knows best father was always right you know the father took the time to sit down and explain to the beaver why you you know you don't shoot birds with a slingshot or whatever it may be yeah uh today's society and media is proclaimed that the the man is the, is the half wit and is, is dumb and, uh, or is just a after one thing in society with women. And, uh, it's, it's, it's pro, it's portrayed us in such a weak way that we've probably bought into it to some degree. Uh-huh. I, I really feel that to some degree it's a spiritual hip hypnotic trance that like you said oh somebody else will get it uh-huh. you know like when when you go to a park and you're on a trail you see a piece of trash on the trail you could either walk by it or you can pick it up and because you have that respect for the land and for the beauty and the majesty and you don't want it marred you just pick up that trash that somebody else didn't.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I wish if men would do that with other younger men, our society would change exponentially. There's no mentoring of younger men whatsoever. You know, I, I, we, uh, my wife and I own a service business. Yeah, I went to college. I have a double major and I have three minors. I spent 12 years in the corporate world and here I am running a service business. If you told me in college while I was struggling and sacrificing, to get through that I was going to be in the service aspect, I would have throat punched you so hard. But see, I held on to a belief system of what what was important. I held on to a belief system of what success was. I held on to a belief system of that stuff was going to fulfill who I was. And when I got into that, when I started working in the corporate world, when I got into management, when I was making shady deals because I needed the deal to be done, when I was willing to uh, blame somebody else and and route them out in front of the staff when I knew it was my own fault. But it was it was easy enough to blame somebody else that wasn't as up as I was.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: That all took its toll on me. And it required me to escape. And I think that that's what reality is, is that men do. They escape. I escaped through drugs. I escaped through alcohol. I escaped through women. I escaped through the power in my job. I escaped through the money and the prestige and the cars that went with them. But I was so hollow and I was so empty uh, that there's this book out there. It's called The God-Shaped Hole. And it talks about how we try to stuff all of this material into that hole, but only God can fill that. And so it's like this void, whether for me it was a ton of drugs or it was a ton of women or whatever it was. Being the life of the party, being able to buy drinks at the bar for everybody. Sure. That, it only gave me a a moment. Yeah. It's nothing like the completeness that comes from God. And there's nothing in the world that offers that completeness. Yet so many men struggle and lurch for the next thing that's going to give them completeness. Oh, is it the four by four quad with the dual wrap? No, it's not. Oh, I just got this, you know, 454. Whatever, dude, that's not going to bring you happiness. And I think society has lied so much. It's displaced men. And then it's lied to them to the point that they've just retracted. That now, it's just, a, like you say, somebody will, somebody will get it. Uh-huh. Gee, I hope that my ex-wife's boyfriend is a good dude because I hope he can instruct my son. Yeah. Good luck.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm going to go to the bar.
0: Go play with my toys.
1: That's right. That's yeah. right. You know, uh, well, there was that bumper sticker, I'm going to take my toys and go home. I think a lot of men have done that in society today. And and they're living in, in houses... That they can barely afford putting clothes on, on the backs of their kids that, that don't appreciate it. Suffering through nagging wives that feel that they've been disenfranchised because their husband's not doing everything that he can to make them happy. And what kind of hell is that to live in? Yeah. And I see it all day long, brother.
0: Yeah, because you're in a
1: lot of people's houses. I go into houses all in day a, long an, between four and six houses every day. Five days a week. I see so many unique things that a lot of us just don't see. Yeah. I can go into a house and I can tell if it's in good order or not. Just by the way that it's that, that it, when I walk in the feel that I can feel, I, I have people explaining the problem to me and the husband and the wife basically bickering and fighting over trying to explain what the problem uh-huh. is. That, my friend, should never happen. Yeah. Over something so petty. Oh, my goodness. But I digress. You know, we are in a fallen and broken world. And, you know, I I think that this sense of entitlement that's not just prevalent to men. That's the, the sense of entitlement is prevalent amongst our kids, our wives, ourselves, that we should be able to do whatever we want. That the rules don't apply to us. They're great to have rules societally, but that I'm I'm of the aspect that I can bend them for me just a little.
0: Bit. Yeah, somebody else will get that rule.
1: That's correct. Yeah. So I expect you to toe the line, but I'm going to tiptoe over it real quick. Yeah. And 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 I think I I, I laugh. I heard that somebody say that our society has become a habitual line-stepping society, that we just keep keep going over the line just a little bit to see what it's like over there. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the the problem with with that great expanse is is you don't get to tiptoe. It's just like like I said about that 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 fence. We can't walk the fence. You're gonna get rat. Yeah. And the the natural propensity to fall off the fence is going to be to fall off the bad side. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So. Um, I, 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 I really, I have a great concern that our men are not leaders any longer, and I think that's what it really all boils down to. And when I say leader, I don't mean uh, a Genghis Khan style of <laughs> authoritarianship. I'm talking about the loving, you know, Christ led by example in so many of the ways of which that he was using the same words in front of people, but he was leading that. And as a husband, as a father, um, we are called to lead in that same way. And when we fail to do that, we not only affect ourselves, but we affect generations of our, of our kids, of, of our wives influences, I know that I've embittered my wife when I was first, you know, married. There's still stuff that I've embittered her. She would be so angry. It would be like a walled fortress to try and get her back. And you know, sometimes I just wouldn't. Sometimes I just didn't care. And I would just pull away and say, if you're gonna be angry, you be angry. Mm I'll go do my thing. That is the weakest thing that you can do as a man the strongest thing you can do is go to your wife and say, look, I screwed up. I'm sorry. Here's how I messed up and see what happens. You don't have to say anything else after that. Yeah. Now, granted you have to be in the wrong. And I think that's something that societally men are just saying, I'm sorry. Just, just to shut up, just to be done. And, uh, and I see it all day long. And I would say the other thing is 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 uh, technology. Technology. When I go to a restaurant and I'm having dinner with my wife, and I see the entire family on their phones at a restaurant, I, I don't have much hope for them. Yeah, I really don't. Um, so so you know, greatly, uh, greatly battled men are right now greatly battled.
0: They are. So as you look back over your life, um, are there any men who made a significant positive impact in your life, maybe a positive course correction in your life? Um, if so, how did, they, how did they do that and who were
1: they? I was, uh, I was very blessed to, to be born and raised into a Christian household. And so I, my feet never hit the ground, so to speak, of this sinful world for a long time. Um when I started getting the options of, would you like light medium or heavy rebellion, uh, I, I I went for the medium rebellion in my younger years, just enough not to get beat on a daily basis, uh-huh. but enough to get a taste for it. And so uh, I was I had uh, four men at different uh, various parts of my life that have spoken into it. And uh, at different times, I would caveat that with the uh, one side is that they made themselves available, but ultimately I was the one when I was broken enough went to them. And that's one thing that I needed to have and know was that the availability was there Uh and God always made that availability known between those men that spoke into my life over those years. I was rebellious. I was resistant and I didn't go to them when I thought I had it all under control. Now that my walk has changed significantly, I'm now encouraged by the men that are still alive. So my first one was a uh, uh, pastor Chuck, uh, and he was the pastor of our first church that I was really a, a part of. And then our second, uh, um, Chuck, Chuck really in college really played a significant role in my life. Uh, I I had been born and raised church all all of my life. If the church was open, we were there. Yeah. And uh, I was told over and over and over again, all of these sins that you don't want to get involved with, all these sins that you don't want to do. Here are these people that have struggled. As soon as I got to college, buddy, I wanted to find out about what all this was about. And it took me rough. It took me in a lot of rough spots. And, uh, I was really struggling with depression. I was really struggling with, uh, suicide, uh, and addiction. And, uh, um, I had gotten broken up with by a, a, a really significant female in my life at that time. Yeah. And, uh, I was, I was spiraling in and by the grace of God, Chuck made himself available. And I I bet you we met probably eight or ten times. He never charged me. He never even spoke of money. He opened up the church. We sat in the office and he listened. Uh, The other was Bob Curry. Uh, uh, Later on, one of my youth groups, um, pastors, who had been a family friend, uh, just in my 20s, would just randomly call. Just periodically, once a year, once every couple of times a year, just to check in and see. And it's amazing the amount of times that I was at a rock bottom that that phone call happened. It was just uncanny, uncanny to have another man reach in and just say, well, I just felt led to call you. And, you know, man, that sounds really tough. Would you like me to pray for you? Yeah. Yeah, I would. Man, there's nothing any more personal than that. I can tell you. Now, did it change me forever? No, it didn't. Because, I don't know, maybe months, weeks, hours. It's probably right back in the same stuff. But here's the thing is, is that we're not focused just on this little three by five card of the picture. I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge art piece. And so... The Lord uses those men to encourage you and keep you going. Uh, the 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 third one was uh, was Pastor John when I was getting married at forty for the first time. I was pretty set in my ways, and he was our our premarital counselor. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm here to tell you, uh, he didn't pull any punches. He was like 86. He had married like 400 people. We were going to be one of his last, if not the last married couple he was going to marry or counsel. He did not pull any punches. And he just told me straight up how blessed I was to have a wife like the wife I was going to get. He was the one that told me and impressed upon me how important it was for me to have a solid relationship with God. Ever before, I try to have a solid relationship with my wife, and that if my wife was being stubborn or or uh, consternating, I could go to God with it and not go to her. Now, I didn't use that information for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so I just went ahead and poked the dog in the cage. Yeah, because that seemed smart. Uh-huh. Um, but I love what God does. He never gives you anything. Without it being useful in your life.
0: That is a great, that's a great lesson to have learned.
1: There are always moments of, of reflection and like prophecy, prophecy is spoken in at that moment in time, but it also has its manifestation and an undisclosed point in the future. So they're of equal importance. And so in that same way is that we, uh, I have to understand more and more that my relationship with God is going to set the tone for the relationship of my household. I can't tell you how many times I would come home angry from a rough day and hear my daughter and my wife having a good time in the kitchen. And I come home like an 800 pound gorilla, grumpy and angry and reaching for the scotch bottle before I even get changed. That tone in that kitchen changed immediately.
0: Uh-huh.
1: It didn't go from joy and laughter. It went from, uh, oh. yeah, it took me a long time to figure out that I was the fly in the ointment.
0: It's like you were dragging something dark in with you
1: every day. Yeah. Every day.
0: And then who was the fourth guy?
1: My, the fourth guy was my dad. Okay. And he was my constant. I lost him five years ago. And uh, I, uh, that was tough. Yeah. I thought that my dad was in a poor health. He was in a congestive heart failure. And that's a, that's a really wicked disease. Robs the body of its oxygen so that the heart's pumping, but the oxygen's not flowing. And to see my father, who was as strong and virile and intelligent uh, and a go-getter, uh, to be reduced to struggling with um, small tasks, you know, he was still dad. Yeah. But it wasn't.
0: Uh-huh. And
1: and the virality, the understanding of, of how fragile we are, that time is just it's just a blink mm-hmm. and now you're the top of the game and now you're the bottom of the heap. It, it, it changes so, so quickly. And I was really frustrated at that. Um, my dad, my dad was a corporate corporate guy for a long time. And then he misses his own business owner, uh, multiple businesses for, um, for the remainder of his, uh, his life. Uh, and it was tough. My dad was tough. Um, my dad didn't have a good dad. My dad's dad uh, was the alcoholic of the town.
0: Mm-hmm. my
1: dad, my dad's dad, uh, they were all embarrassed to even be seen by him. And so my dad had no good influence. my back in the day, my grandmother and grandfather divorced, which was unheard of back in that time.
0: yeah
1: um, I'm so blessed that my dad had a relationship with God because I couldn't imagine what our relationship would be like if he had relied on what his father poured into him. And I'm not saying that it was easy. My dad, I I will tell you, uh, uh, I I grew up, this is what my dad had me believing for most of my life. Son, you could screw up a ball bearing. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times he told me that. And you know what? when somebody pours negativity into you like that, you'll believe it. Uh-huh. There were so many times that my dad, I could never hold the flashlight ever correctly for my dad. I saw a meme on the internet. that said, you can't hurt my feelings. I used to hold a flashlight for my dad. Uh-huh. That's pretty true. My dad was really, really rough. Um, because when things weren't going well for him, he needed to lash out. And, uh, I know you're saying, well, how is this guy, you know, the most influential? uh, Because my dad, in spite of all of those struggles and issues, would come back at the end of an explosion. Or he would come back with, you know, I'm sorry. Uh I didn't mean to say that. and Or I will do this to try and show you that I will be better at. He didn't, he didn't, it didn't come naturally to him. Uh He didn't just supernaturally, you know, hop up on top of a soapbox and say, I've got this mastered. There were real pains that he inflicted. There's still scars there, but the admiration and the love and the relationship that I've had after that far outweighs any of the pains that he ever inflicted ever. And I can be in complete and utter um, brokenness, and to this day still want my dad uh-huh. to bounce questions off of. To I would love to just hear him say, say my name, you know, yeah. hey blank, you know, yeah. hey dash, how's yeah. it going? Yeah. Um. And I will tell you that 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 uh, my rudder got snapped when he passed. Yeah. I was, I I lost about three months of just mourning. I I pretty much just drank scotch and just tried not to think about this massive loss that, that I had just incurred, Uh, you know, uh, but I will tell you, That God gives you vision and he gives you total recall when the word's been sown into you for the right moments at the right reasons. And my dad spent his entire life building up in me a right godly relationship by modeling it. Again, he didn't do it perfectly, but the times that he screwed up, he made right. And then the rest of the time, you were catching them doing the right things. Being loving to my mom. Being an excellent employer to the employees and making sure that they were cared for. Taking care of us as siblings. Taking care of my mom's retirement all before he passed. And those marks of something that you want to take care of, something that you cherish and something you love. Not something that you just toss willy nilly and say, well, oh,
0: hope it works out for you. Somebody else will get that. That's right. All right. So looking back over your life, was there ever a time when you let yourself become isolated? Uh, it sounds like there was, and like what caused you to be, to fall into isolation and how did you get back out of it?
1: Uh, there, unfortunately there have been multiple times of isolation for me. Uh, I was geared. I feel like I was geared differently, anyways. I am. I'm, I am. I uh, am. I guess. I. You could say that I am a, um, a social despondent. <laughs> I love the idea of being social, only on until it's too much for me, and then I just don't want any part of it anymore. Take my cookies and go home. Uh huh. Um. Uh. But I would say that that. Rebellion, just straight out rebellion. As that, and and uh, I guess it would be rebellion has been has been the thing that's driven me uh, uh, to do the dumbest, <laughs> the most self deprivating the most self-effacing things that you could do. I was I was preparing for this. Uh, Just kind of reading some of the questions and I was speaking with my wife and I said, you know, I had a vision of one of the stupidest things that I remember doing back in this little town where I grew up was a lake town. And we had this big trestle, a big bridge trestle over the water. And so there was about 12 or so of our friends that were on the beach area having a fire. And I decided drunk that it would just be great to go hand over hand on the trestle out to the middle of it about 35 feet over the water. Most of the guys in the crowd didn't care. But one girl did say, she's like, you're going to kill yourself. You better come back. And I'm like, well, I guess since she paid attention, I went back. But here's the deal. How stupid. I was drunk. I was going hand over hand in the dark. All it would have taken is something sharp, would have taken a rat to run across my fingers, would have taken a handful of rust, and I would have been done. And so if I was willing to do that just for a casual, you know, you're going to kill yourself from pretty girl that I was attracted to. How much grace did the Lord spend on me to keep me on this mortal coil, (laughs) if you will? And how many other men out there are in that same spot? And if they would just recollect that God, the God of the universe has been holding his hands outright to these men, to me. All of these years to just accept it. You know, that verse that says that my burden is light and my yoke is easy. We all think that these rules that God has is is, they're just going to discount. They're going to kill me. I'm just going to wither away. No, this world is what's killing you. This world is what's making us wither away because we don't have an absolute truth. It's all shifting sand. The one verse that holds in my heart, I can't tell you, Justin, how many, how many heartbreaks I went through, through, through just sinful acts. But there was a verse on my road to, to God, and it was, he pulled me out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on solid ground, and he gave me a new place to stand. The preface of that verse that I didn't say was, I cried out to the Lord. We have to cry out to the Lord. I wasn't willing to do that in my pride. I wasn't willing to do that in my heyday of sin. And sin has wonderful expectations and, and, and experiences for the moment. There's always a season with sin. And I never thought that I would have to pay on any of those seasons. And guess what? I had to pay on every single one of those seasons. And so having men like Bob or like Chuck or like my dad, that when I was backed up against the wall and I was an utter failure in my own eyes and even societally, those men still breathed the word of God into me. Uh-huh. And I, I, I think that that's what each man's call is to do. Each man is to find another man and live life with that man and not drag them across the biblical finish line, but to live with them and to live a godly life so as to inspire others that are wanting to live a godly life. And then when they try, you get to be part of that experience. You get to say, yeah, I remember when I was addicted to cocaine. Or, yeah, I remember when I was wanting to have an adulterous affair on my wife. Huh. And you know what helped me? Blank. Uh
0: huh.
1: I just don't think that men are willing to be that transparent anymore. If they are, it's going to take a movement from God.
0: So real quick, because you touched on your father passing away and you... Zoned out with scotch for three months. What brought you back out of
1: that? Uh, my responsibilities. Okay. I I I I knew full well that my wife was not going to put up with much more of it. Matter of fact, she had even said, "Uh, you we we're really pushing this morning scenario." Company I was working for, I had just point blank just said, "Look, you know, I don't want to come back. I'm going to take a month off, and if you don't like that." Then I, I don't have to come back in a month. You just let me know. I didn't care. Yeah. I didn't know. I I frankly I'd never known I didn't know how to deal with that. But my my real response before my dad died was, my dad's gonna die. I'll be sad for a week. We'll move on. It'll be fine. Yeah. I was not prepared for that. I just wasn't. So the reality was that the responsibility that I had made before God and before all of my friends and family when I married my wife was that I said, I was going to take care of you and our daughter. You need to get to going. But I will say that the Lord spoke through my wife in a loving way. When as before she could have just been a real terror, but the Lord really worked in her heart to be tender with me because I was raw. Yeah. And, uh, and that brought me back. That brought me back. I I was surprised it wasn't the church. It wasn't people in the church. I had hoped that it would be that they would feel my pain and they would reach out. You know what? None of them really did. They did when it, you know, when it was on Facebook for a minute. Um, but my pastor even told me, he said, Ryan, you're going to get all kinds of consolations and all geez shucks.
0: Yeah. Let me even get the, like the prayer hands emoji. You might. Hey, dude, that's I mean, that'll move the world right there.
1: But in a month, everybody's going to be gone. Yeah. And that's where it's going to set in, son. And I'll be praying for you then. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so uh the reality, the reality was that uh my father would never cotton to me drinking scotch and just losing my days. So I kind of, I felt like the Lord inspired his voice in my head that said, Hey, get up. Yeah. And, and that's what I did. And I quit the company that I was working for. And that's when the Lord really inspired me to go full bore into our own business. And I went on my own. I did it for two or three years. And my wife, who was a surgical nurse, uh, was able to quit her job and come on full time. And it's been the biggest blessing. It's, Nobody at the end of their life is going to say, oh, I wish I'd filed more TPS reports. (laughs) They all want more time. Yeah. So I was willing. And so was my wife, thank God, to sacrifice more of the materialism for time. Uh Now we have a farm. We have a small business. Both of those things require our time in an unconventional way. If we lived in a subdivision, we'd be twiddling our thumbs going crazy. Mm -hmm. But as it stands, we have this. And the Lord has taught us so much how to be a steward with a small business and with a farm. That we're just caretakers. Uh That he trusts us to do well with what we have. And that it's not ours. So when the business situation comes up, I'm very blessed to say it's the Lord's business. So let's go to prayer. And I have a prayer partner, which is my wife to, Hey, we have this big issue that we need to pray about and see what the Lord wants to do on this. That's a lot easier than me hanging on to all the angst and all the anxiety thinking that I'm the one that's going to make the decisions. Yeah. Even on my business card, it says service tech. It doesn't say owner. It says service tech. Cause that's what I am. I go out there and I service the stuff that you need fixed. Yeah, It's not a pride thing. It's it's an understanding that, that it's a blessing for me to be a part of that. And, and when men see that their family is a garden, that they get a blessing to be a part of that can grow, that can encourage, that can enlighten, it's a pretty good thing. I say all that to say that I have a 20-year-old daughter that's not talking with me and moved out. And is living with her 25-year-old boyfriend. I say that because I love her. My wife loves her. But she wasn't wanting to live in a way that was commiserate with with the God life that she said she was wanting to live. So when we challenged her on that, her first inclination was to just move out. Which is completely unfamiliar to you. You know what? I was a homebody. Oh, you were? I was. I mean, I didn't come home one night when I was 21 after I graduated from college and I was dating one of my mom's co-workers (laughs) who was 40. I was 21 and my mom already had tremendous angst over this. Well, I didn't come home on a Friday night. I rolled in Saturday morning at 530 and there's my mom standing on the front porch with the Bible open quoting abstain from the very appearance of evil and so in that sense I knew I'd had my goose cooked I went and sat down on the breezeway between the garage and the house and had a cigarette and I heard this clump 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 My dad came down with his hair all shot out 20 different directions, no shirt on in his white undies. And he's like, oh, just get home? I'm like, yeah. Slammed the door and went back upstairs. That was all that was said. On Wednesday, my dad put me in the car and he drove me around uh, three subdivisions. And he said, these are all bank foreclosures. Your mom and I are going to help you with the down payment. Which house are you wanting? Because you can't live with us anymore. He said, my wife is my best friend. You're coming in between me and my best friend. I can't have that. Which house do you want? So at that point, I was moved out. Now, I had hoped to have something of that kind of transition with her daughter. Yeah, She didn't give us the chance. But the thing that's unique is that the Lord kept telling me before this ever happened, he inclined me to ask for more prayers for her. He inclined me to pray more for her. And just before this happened, God inclined me to give up any of my ownership to her because he's heads above me as a parent. And that's what he was telling me is, if you really, if you really want your daughter to get out of this, then I need you to get out of this because now I'm going to be the parent I'm a better parent than you ever will be. And I have more love for your daughter than you ever could have. So trust me in this process. And it's been tough. It's been difficult for my wife and I. And, but we are praying daily. We are, but, but, but you know what we're not doing? We're not condoning it. We're not telling her, oh, we're so sad that you moved out. Please come back because that's not the right thing. Sometimes you have to stick to your guns and it's unpopular. Uh-huh. and and the ramifications of that unpopularity hurt. But overall, at the end of it, if our daughter comes back to Christ, because we feel that we did that, raise a child in the way that you should go, and they won't depart from it when they grow old. You know what? That's not a biblical guarantee. It's not a, a biblical promise, but there's a lot of life in it. And I'm a living example of that. Yeah. And so in that sense, I have to encourage my wife. I have to be resolute in our decisions. And I have to continually seek God as to what am I supposed to do in this situation? I battled with, do I write a letter? Do I go get a Hallmark moment? Do I just throw out a Facebook? And the Lord says, no, stop. She has to be out there to realize that in here was a safe place. So right now, just like I let happen with you, son, you're going to be out and away from my protection to see if that's what you want to embrace. And ultimately, like I've said before or earlier, it's this choice. See, today I said before you, life or death, good or bad, what do you want? I said earlier, we were talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Their relationship wasn't based on how good and how many devotions and, and how many meetings they made at a church. God commended each one of them, and even Moses, for the friendships that they had. And that's the thing that I think is, is really a struggle. Is, is that you had mentioned earlier that so many people are, well, somebody else will get it. They're doing that with the religionship of the church. Well, the church will save us. The church will be our moral compass. The church will, no. That only comes from the one-on-one relationship that you're going to get from your Savior. And if your Savior is really your Savior, then his words are going to have imperative uh, consequences on your life. And if he's really not, then his words don't have any consequence and you know, you move know, on. that's it.
0: Let's move on.
1: I've been counseling a, a, a younger man for the last year or so. And uh, we got into a conversation about his girlfriend and she's an atheist. And, uh, and I said, so, you know, how does that affect you and your relationship? I know that you're, you're struggling to figure out who God is for you. And, and you know, you believe that there is God. You, you're not knowing if you're saved or not, but how is that? How is her atheism? Is that going to influence you in any way? He's like, I don't think so. I said, so, so if God calls you to be a street minister and the Holy spirit is just wrapped up in you and you feel that this is your life call and you go to this girl who's an atheist and you say, look, this is what I want to do with my life. And she says, well, I don't even believe in God. You're basically crazy. How's that going to affect you? Will it affect you? And any, he, any, he, and he said something and he's, he leaned back towards, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not really saved. So we're kind of, and I was taken aback. I was shocked. I've been pouring into this guy for a year. uh mm-hmm. And he's younger and, and I'm, 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 you know, I'm sharing Christian gold with him. You know, but really, I'm just living life. We get together, we have breakfast, we talk about his pains and his plans and my pains and my plans. And, and the majority of it is my transparency of me being willing to let my guard down and say, oh, I really messed up. Here's how I messed up. I, I was just shocked that that he was a lot further away from God than I gave credit for. And this is somebody I've been meeting with once a week for a year. If, if, if I can be that blindsided in that relationship, how much else am I not paying attention to? Yeah. And so the Lord just showed me that it's, it's, it's really, you've heard this story probably ad nauseum, but it's the story of the two boys walking on the beach after a huge hurricane in Florida. And there's just thousands of starfish washed up on the shore. And the two boys are walking. And the one boy picks up a starfish and throws it back into the ocean to save its life. Then he picks up another one and throws it into the ocean to save its life. And the other boy that's not doing this says, why are you doing that? You're not going to save all of them. And the boy picks up another starfish and throws it in the ocean and saves its life. And he says, yeah, but I made a difference in that one. And I think if we would just look at it as it's the piecemeal, it's the one-on-one, it's not you being in the front packing 6,000 butts in an auditorium. It's you with God, one-on-one, being willing to be, as Paul would say, to be the least or to be the most or to be the social chameleon in order to live a life that's right, that's going to give somebody a fair chance in this crummy world. And it is a crummy world. It could be great, but we as humans are like cockroaches. We just can't be involved with something without destroying it. We just can't. I mean, you look at our earth, you know, we make so much food. We can feed the world 10 times over. But because of our greed, we would rather throw it away than to feed how many? You know, how many smokestacks are throwing up all kinds of just toxic, toxicity into our atmosphere, but oh well they paid their bills to the you know to whatever authoritarian company. You know our first and only reasonable goal when we were when we were created was to manage the garden, was to bring heaven down on earth. And unless God gives you the specific you're gonna be uh you know uh, Oral Roberts or uh, uh, Billy Graham or or whoever, it's the one-offs. It's the, it's the, you know, my dad always said there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. So if you're living life with somebody and they're going through a rough time, and that's when you cuddle up to them, that's when you say, look, the whole world may be kicking you off, but brother, I'm still with you. And so is the Lord. And then live it. I mean, really live it. There's some men that I counseled in my life that I had just disparaged meeting with because they're just blather on and on about how great they are and how struggleish they are and how everybody else is wrong. And they never listen to a single piece of advice or word or whatnot to the point where, you know, you're willing to give up. But my strength doesn't come from myself. So when I pray, I'm like, OK, God, I'm. I'm going to listen to this same story I've heard nine times. And hopefully he'll get out of it what he's needing to say because he said it nine times. (laughs) And, And in that way, I look at it that those men that poured into me all of my life is the same thing that I'm just trying to do a little bit at a time, just like the starfish.
0: Uh huh. Well, let's move on to the last one here. All right. So imagine I just surprised you with an unannounced an unannounced guest a okay. surprise mm-hmm. and he comes around the corner and it's you at 18 oh boy and he sits down at the table mm-hmm. and there's a bizarre law that requires him to sit and listen to what you have to say to him what would you advise him
1: well first i'd probably knock the fruit pie out of his hand <sighs> <laughs> No chocolate milk for you, fat boy. (laughs) Uh, You know, I I did give this question a little bit of uh, more consideration. And I would have to say one of the main things I would tell myself at 18 is don't be so swayed by everybody else's opinions. It's okay to be you. It's okay if you don't match up perfectly in society. I felt like I got trapped into fitting into uh, Bill and Jane's kid, and in that way, I did not. I did not learn well. I I was a social chameleon, and uh, there's this famous saying that we can only wear one face to ourselves and one face to the multitudes without finally getting bewildered as to which face is true and i think for me i was so people pleasing and i was so desirous of success and people's uh accolades that i was willing to cowtail on beliefs that i should have held true to and so so much of, of that boiled over into, into bad bad situations. But I also thought about that question in the sense that I wouldn't change a thing. I, I, I really wouldn't. You know, you have those questions where, you know, what would you do over? What would you change? Nothing. Because the relationship that I'm at with Christ today, it's taken all of those scars it's taken all that pain. It's taken those arrest records. It's taken the broken relationships. It's taken the loss of finances to get me to the place that I'm at today. And, and have I made it? Heck no. But am I a good spot? I am. And that peace that passes all understanding, that's something that's real. And is something that rests over me like a mantle every day. Does bad stuff happen? You bet it does. And, and do I get exasperated? I do. But I will say that over all of the stupidity that I've done, Christ has been, has availed himself to me on every single occasion. Never once did he leave me, even when I was treating him like a jerk. Never once. That's amazing to me. You know, I was definitely the, the, the definition of the prodigal son. If you said it was white, I would argue until I was dead that it was black. Now that I've aged, now that my relationship is a relationship, not this legalistic religion You know, I faked so many years of looking like a good guy by going to church and nobody ever knew the quantity of my heart. Yeah. Never knew the quality or quantity of my heart. it was the real people in my life that did those were the ones that said look you're being a jerk to me and i consider you a brother so either you have something really wrong with you or there's something going on and how can i help that that makes all the difference you know having you know i see pastors in the church all the time that feel like they have to save every member in the church. And the congregation only feels like the pastor is the only one that can save them. And that ain't true. You know, I saw a sign a long time ago that I lived my life by, and it said, we are all pastors. We just stand at different pulpits. My pulpit is this service business that I go into three, four, five houses a day every week. And sometimes. I'm just there pure and simply as a service guy. Go fix this. You bet. I'll get on it. I'm done. Bye. Yeah. A lot of times people just want to talk. And it's a tremendous opportunity. If you treat it with the respect and honor that it is, people are so willing and wanting to share. People are hurting out there, bro. People are hurting and nobody's listening. And so I, all day long, I get to somebody talk. else will do that. That's right.
0: Yeah. Everybody on their street, somebody else will, will listen. Somebody else and, will take care of my neighbor. Somebody else will see if they're why they haven't come out of their house in
1: two weeks. Right. But for me, that's me. Yeah. That's I'm that's somebody else right now. Yeah. Right now, I get to go to different houses. I've gotten to pray with people. I've gotten to, uh, uh, to do things for them that the Lord's again, it's his business little old lady that doesn't have two thin pennies to rub together and is asking if she can make payments on a, on, on, on this service and knowing full well that before you even get done, you're not even going to charge her because that's what the Lord's telling you to do. Yeah. When you operate in that way, you're breathing life into the world and it's a different life than what the world has to offer. And so for me, I'll take every scar. I'll take every bruise. The only thing, the only thing that I am tremendously remorseful over is the impact that I had on the other people, the way that I could have caused them to to veer off from where they were in their relationships with God. That's the only thing that I can't come to standards with. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many women that I just treated as objects. There are so many employees that I just treated as peons, not as people. I I can't get that back. But what I can do is be aware now and have the right heart to, to try and uh, recoup that, which I, I destroyed, you know?
0: Okay. Well, I appreciate you being here dash. (laughs) And I appreciate you folks listening and this will wrap up the second interview in the What men, What Do Men Think series. And this one went a little long, but I'm going to violate the podcast rules and just leave it intact as one big, long episode because I think that Dash has a lot of uh, experience that, that men can relate to. Uh, maybe not all of you, but I think a lot of you can. And hopefully this helps in some way. And I'll bring him back at another point and we'll pick his brain on some more things. Until then, I'll catch you on the next one, and I hope you have a great afternoon.